When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. Unprecedented times we're living in, of course, and all of us having to stay indoors largely. But I'm happy to say we are going to continue this programme with Simon Mann and I practising social distancing. In fact, we're not only two metres apart, we're almost five miles apart, broadcasting from our separate homes to keep you entertained. And what we're going to do over the next five weeks is we are going to bring you a brand new series, Cricket's Groundbreaking Moments, moments that shaped the future of the game. We don't quite know how the current situation is going to play out and what effect it's going to have on the game of cricket in the near future and in the medium term as well and possibly in the long term. But what we are going to do is look back on those big moments that shaped the future of the game of cricket. One of the most exciting things you can have in a cricket match, of course, is a batsman hitting six sixes in an over. It hasn't been done many times in the game, and two of those occasions were really instrumental in changing the game. The first one was, of course, Garfield Sobers. He was the first ever to do it. He did it by hitting six sixes off the unfortunate left-arm seamer of Glamorgan, Malcolm Nash. He did that in 1968. And we're also going to look at, later in the programme, Yuvraj Singh, emulating Sobers' feet in 2007 in the World T20 in South Africa and the impact that that had on the game. Just to sort of set the scene before we get into hearing from Sobers and also his unfortunate victim, I suppose we should just talk about the, the state of cricket in 1968 at the time Actually, Test cricket was a was a bit of a, a a bore. There was a lot of bore draws during the sixties, and county cricket was struggling for appeal. England, of course, had just won the football World Cup, so football was the all singing, all dancing sport, and cricket was really very much its uh, rather inferior cousin. And as a result, players were not paid very well, and county cricket was, you know, something that people enjoyed and, and watched a little bit of, but there wasn't an awful lot of cricket on TV. Occasional Gillette Cup matches, which were the 65-over knockout tournament, appeared on the telly, but apart from that, there wasn't much domestic cricket knocking around for people to watch. What there was was something called the International Rothmans Cavaliers, which was an idea conjured up largely by Ted Dexter and Dennis Compton and their mutual agent, who was a guy called Bagnall Harvey. And they 
managed to attract a lot of overseas players to come and play in England on Sundays because there was no county championship match on a Sunday. So these guys managed to recruit some star players from around the world to come and play on county grounds on Sundays to entertain the public and raise money for various county beneficiaries. So it did have a a really good ulterior motive and it was a very successful form of the game, which then eventually became the John Player League. Another thing happened in 1968 as well, and that was that overseas players were allowed in county cricket officially for the first time. There were regulations in place and some players got round it before that. But in 1968, Gary Sobers played for Nottinghamshire. He was paid £7,000 for the season. He was given a, a flat as well. And of course, he was one of the biggest stars, if not the biggest star in the game. Yeah, I'd just started following cricket myself, actually, and Sobers was certainly someone that I was interested in hearing about. We knew about his prowess for the West Indies, but we hadn't really seen him much in county cricket. There were a couple of other overseas players that that were starting to make a name for themselves as well, but he was clearly the, the star attraction, and he really delivered on that day in August down in Swansea, where coming into bat for Nottinghamshire, he'd taken on a contract with Nottinghamshire to try and lift them up the table, and he was doing pretty well with that, actually. They'd got up from near bottom of the table the previous year to about fifth or sixth in the county championship, and they wanted to try and set uh, Glamorgan a target on this sunny afternoon in Swansea, and so with plenty of runs on the board, Sobers strolled into bat with Malcolm Nash, the Glamorgan left-arm seamer, in the attack. And we can hear from both Sobers and Nash what happened next. When I went into bat, we'd already had quite a number of runs on the board. And I thought, well, we get a few more, as quick as possible. And then I decided, look, um, listening one evening in the dressing room to Everton Meeks and Larry Constantine, who became Lord Constantine, talking... And I was there listening. And I heard Everton say to Larry, um, Larry, what is your version of this game of cricket? And Larry Constantine said, well, you know, when I go to bat, I hit it up there because there's nobody up there to catch it, but you must make sure or stop it, but you must make sure you clear the boundary. And then he said to Everton, what is yours, Everton? And Everton said, well, I'm different. I keep it on the ground because nobody can catch you. And I believe he's only ever hit one six in his whole career. So when I went in at that stage and I got a few runs, I decided now we need real quick runs. If I get out, it doesn't matter now. I think we've got enough. But if I can add some, but do that, I must score them quick. I just can't push, push to get them. And I took Larry Constantine's version. And that's how it started. And Malcolm Nash, who I knew quite well, and was very, very friendly, we're always good friends, he reckons he can get me out. He wanted to get me out. And there was a little short boundary on the leg side. And coming into me, it was easy for me to just hit them over on the leg side. And then I think Malcolm saw that and decided he's going to get drifted. But by that time, I had lost all control because it didn't matter, as I said, if I got out. So I took the chances. Nothing, nothing in my mind about six sixes. That was so far from my mind that when it did happen, I, I just still didn't believe that it could happen. The first ball I bowled to him after tea was not a bad ball, and he hit it straight up here, over mid-off, uh, uh, for six. 
and over Roger Davis's head. Oh, oh crikey, here we go. You put the next one over long on. Oh, no, I think... Just short of the cricketers, was it? I think the pub there. The second one might have hit the guttering on the cricketers. It was right. either the second or the third. Yeah. Um, I'd have to go back and check the, uh, the film on that. But it's... Uh, and the ball came bouncing back into the street and it got thrown back into the ground and uh, that happened. Oh, bloody hell. I mean, that went into orbit very near. And, you know, the lads were getting further and further away from me. Eddie Phillipson was, was the umpire. I had a slip. I don't know why I had a slip at that stage. <laughs> Margin was at slip and Ivian was having a little go at Sobers. And anyway, the third one, he, he whacked over mid-wicket and this just kept kept going, and I thought, okay, keep it up there because he's going to miss it one any time now. Next one came along, and he drilled that square, played everything off the back foot, and everything was well pitched up. Fifth ball, Rogers on the boundary down here. I don't know whether I deliberately held it back a little bit, but I, let's just say that I gave it a little bit more air and wasn't quite such a full length, and so it was went through his shot, and he he got underneath it. And Roger got under it and caught it. And then, for whatever reason, he just sat down on the line, put his backside on the line. And there were members here shouting out. There were members shouting six. And Tony Cordell was a long on. And he was going six, out. <laughs> so the umpires had a confrontation. Uh, John Langridge, I think, was the other umpire. And eventually they came to a decision that it was six. So there was one to go. And I thought, Tony Lewis keeps saying, well, you know, I kept coming up and telling him to do this and do that. In fact, nobody said a word to me at all. <laughs> there was nobody close enough. And I ran in and bowled the last ball. And, and what thought, were you trying to bowl? I bowled a seamer off the short run, round the wicket, something I'd never, ever done before. Uh, and it was the worst ball of the day, not let alone the over of the day. And that disappeared. Um, you can see the two buildings there. There's a road that runs between those buildings over uh, on Deep Midwicket area. And he dispatched it down there and it ended up at a bus stop way, way down the road. And this little lad picked the ball up and took it home and it was on national news and brought it back the next day. But there was such a long time of where the ball was and getting more balls out from the dressing room to carry on that, that Gary said, hey, I've had enough. Right, let's declare. And off we went. The one that I hit just before the last one, which you saw caught on the boundary, I was glad it was on television because at least everybody can see that the ball and the fielder went in the boundary at the same time. But if you watch me, you can see I was on my way from the crease. I saw it started to walk, and the crowd, the crowd of Glamorgan, not our crowd, said, you're not out, go back. I suppose everybody wanted to see me try to hit the last six, the last ball for six. And what you was know, going through your mind for the, oh, the, last, the last ball? Oh, oh no, I, I said, well, it's got to go. This is definitely going. I don't care where man come bowling, it's going for six. That was the most positive thing about the six sixes, that the last one... It was going to go for six. I didn't care where it had come, what he had bowled. And I knew in my own mind that he was going to try to trick me. An old pro like me, because I was a pro for so many years, and I knew that when he came up, as you see so often in slow bowlers, when you're knocking them around, they come up and all of a sudden 
they give you this quick one. But I knew that two days before he bowled it. <laughs> so when he bowled it, I was already in position, and he dropped it halfway down the wicket. It made it a lot easier to hit it to the square leg boundary. So my eyes open as big as a football, one eye on the ball and one eye on the boundary, and I just swung at it, and it hit the middle. And they tell me, the man he used to call the Mayor of Glamorgan, Mr. Wolf Wooler, who is the man that got it, got it on television, because they were supposed to go off. And after I'd hit the first three, he said, oh, we're holding on. After I hit the fourth, he said, we're not leaving. And he got it. And he said, oh my God, that one is gone. It's gone over the boundary, it's gone over the buses, it's gone to the Guild Hall. I never knew how far the Guild Hall was. You know, but, and as I said, at the end of that, we were summoned to come up, to go across the ground and go up this platform to be interviewed. And I was walking in front of Malcolm. And I just looked over my right shoulder and saw him smiling. So I said to him, I said, Mali, I said, what are you smiling about? And he looked at me and he says, I want you to know you couldn't have done it without me. <laughs> and, and how did you actually feel when the six sixes were hit, the sixth one? I was a little shaky on that one. I thought, oh, my God, what's just happened? But it didn't register the fact that, oh, well, that's the first time ever in the history of the game. The others were reminding me that's the first time it's ever happened. I bet well, they were. Yeah. OK. So, so it's happened. It's going to happen sometime. It just, unfortunately, it's me. But it never affected my psyche. Honestly, now, it's, it's, that's just one of those things. Never bothered me. Still doesn't bother me. And did Garfield speak to you afterwards at any point? Yeah, we did. We, uh, we had a cigarette, and uh, he was joking, and he said... Should have been a Hamlet, really, shouldn't <laughs> it? <laughs> it should have been, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and then we did a TV interview at the end of the day, and uh, there was a lot of useful information out of our dressing room saying, actually, make sure you get the right fee for the TV and this, that and the other. And Gary was talking to me about that going over, and he got double the fee that I did, but uh, well, we had a great interview. Fascinating to hear your reminiscences, Malcolm, of that great day 50 years ago, which is inscripted in legend, it's in Wizard, it's one of my most sort of favourite statistics of the game, and it really in a way changed the game as well so you were part of a really major transformation in the game you should be proud of that I am proud of it uh, for certain reasons this is your life Wogan show all sorts of things, good things like that have come out of it and that would never have happened before So, and somebody somewhere around the world always calls up or sends me an email saying were you the guy and they never ask about when Shastri hit one or when Herschel Gibbs did it. Uh, they never talk about Broad being hit for six sixes or Talik Raj. They never, ever get talked about. Only this one here. So it is significant. Well, of course, Malcolm Nash was, was famous ever after for that uh, rather unfortunate experience. He went on to take over a 1,000 wickets for Glamorgan and, you know, had a pretty impressive career. He sadly died, actually, not long after we recorded that interview. We were sitting in the stands at Swansea looking around the ground at where those sixes were hit. 
that was a year or so ago and, and soon after that he sadly passed away and that's a, a great loss of the game because he was a real character actually Sobers is still going pretty strong and, and playing his golf in Barbados uh, whenever he can um, but the impact on that moment was was such, I think, that firstly it was on TV, it was on national TV, as Sobers there mentioned. It was uh, something that appeared on the news and we all saw it. And I think it was a, it was a perfect little aperitif, in a way, for the John Player League, which started the next year. It was actually called the Players County League. And 1969 was when it began. I certainly got really interested in it as a 10-year-old. I've got two scorecards here from that tournament, from that year. I was a Kent fan at the time and uh, carefully filled in these scorecards. One from the Oval, Kent against Surrey, 1969, June the 1st. Players like John Edrich and Mickey Stewart were playing. Brian Luckhurst, Alan Knott, Asif Iqbal... For, for Kent, Derek Underwood as well, Bob Woolmer. Uh, sadly, Surrey won by eight wickets. I've got another one here from the same year, Canterbury, 24th of August, 69, Kent against Yorkshire. And just on the back, uh, you know, players, County League champions, £1,000, prize money, runners-up, 500 Winning team in every match will receive £50. And the BBC have donated the fastest 50, £250, for the fastest televised 50. Well, for me, it was actually an appointment to view on a Sunday afternoon in the, in the 1970s. That was when I first started getting interested in cricket. You, met, you mentioned Gary Sobers. I, I think the first year I really watched cricket properly was 1973. The West Indies were over. And, of course, Sobers, at the end of his career, made a, a fine hundred in the Lord's Test match, in which West Indies made 603 players, got hundreds. Julian was another one, and, and Rohan Kanhai as well. He got a hundred in that Test match. But the, the Sunday league was... Yeah, I I just remember it so clearly. You, you'd finish lunch right two o'clock, sit down and watch the Sunday League. The only problem was on a Sunday. I, I in those days was I had to go to church in the evening, so I missed the end of the game. <laughs> so I, I was I was sitting there, well, not really listening to the sermon, but or thinking about, uh, you know, could. Gloucestershire have got 3.47 runs per over to, to beat Essex. Usually not. Usually they, they fail. I had to wait to get home and my granddad would watch the end of it and he would tell me the result. Normally it was, it was a tale of disappointment if you're a, a Gloucestershire supporter. But it was, I remember the fastest 50, yeah, the t- fastest televised 50. Uh, I think probably in those days, you know, a f- the fastest televised 50 was somewhere in the region of 23 balls, which just shows you, you know, how much the, the game has moved on. People do it much quicker these days with the advent of of 2020 uh, I, you make the point as well you know it was on, it was on tv it was on terrestrial television and you you know you could watch these players in action and it really captures the imagination as a youngster yeah you're right about the the low scores actually because this match in in 69 i see here you know one team yorkshire made 181 for four from their 40 overs so they were knocking it around. That's without boycotting the side as well. And uh, Kent Kent lost that game, 105 all out from 35 overs. And one of the things about that tournament, which was quite clever, was uh, the way they managed to get it fitted into that time slot. So very much the BBC mm. screened it between 2 and 6.30. And it was important to get those 80 overs in in that time. And it was Ted Dexter, in a way, who had an influence on how this 
shortened time frame for the game was achieved. He played very early on in the Gillette Cup and he was captain of Sussex and had a bit a big influence in how Sussex played and how they won that tournament with one particular thing that he pioneered. And then secondly, he had this idea for how to shorten the game once it was reduced to 40 overs to fit it into that time frame. So I talked to him about his influences on one day cricket from that era. What started off as the Knockout Cup in the first year and was then the, the Gillette. That, that's where I really had an influence. What I did with my guys, I said right from the beginning, every ball, we were all we were seamers, and I said, I just want every ball to be hitting the wickets. If it's short enough to go over the top, that's too short. Um, if it's wide, it's wide. So all you've got to think about, and anything about anything else, is bowl every ball to hit the stumps. And if you're getting hit a bit, get it further up. International Cavaliers, the teams we put in the field were fantastic. And of course, and I think we just got around that Sunday thing, didn't we? Because you you weren't supposed to. You couldn't pay an entrance fee, was that right, on Sundays? You I'd... couldn't take money off the crowd, but we got round it. They, they had to buy a programme or something. And then Bagnall got a, a, um, a, t- a television deal with ITV for Sunday games. My job, before we got the television agreement... It was my job to go in the little back room at Bagnalls and draw up rules and regs. They said it has to finish on time. You mustn't have any draws. There must be a result and it must finish on time. I came up with that rather ridiculous thing about shortened run-ups. That was just to try and sort of cram it in so it wouldn't overrun. Well, that was Ted Dexter. How difficult was it to shorten your run? For the Sunday League, Yozza? It was absolutely horrendous. I hated it uh, because my run-up was about, say, 20 yards. And, you know, so normally six days a week, championship cricket, two lots of three-day games, you're bowling from a 20-yard run-up. Then suddenly on Sundays, you've got to shorten it by five yards. And that may sound quite simple, but when you, if you're trying to be a precision engineer, which I was and miserably failing at, every step is important in the build-up to arriving at the crease. And if you are out of sync in some way because your run-up has to be shorter or or longer, uh, it, it does make you, it does really disrupt your whole rhythm. I, I remember certain bowlers trying to find ways of fitting their existing run-up into that space, the 15 yards. So some would start, a bit like Morning Morkel does now, facing the wrong way and run sort of slightly backwards before running in a curve on the line that was painted itself and then running forwards in towards the batsman. So that was one way of doing it. Wayne Daniel uh, from Middlesex, the West Indian, who had an incredibly long run-up normally, he just ran on the spot on the 15-yard run-up mark until he felt ready to go and then sort of let himself fly and came towards the batsman. So it, it was very disruptive, actually, but I suppose it did have the benefit of making sure the game ran smoothly and fitted into the time slot. And were there any bowlers that were just as quick on their from their Sunday League run up as their normal Championship run up? 
were there any examples of that, or, or did you notice yeah. that bowlers were were slower? Well, de- I, no, I don't think so. Uh, I, definitely, Daniel Wayne Daniel was as quick of a, of a short run because his speed was all from brute force, and I, I Mar- Malcolm Marshall as well could bowl just as quick off ten paces as he did off his big long curving run up, starting ten yards from the boundary. I never faced Michael Holding in a a 40-over game with abbreviated run-ups, but I I dare say he was just as quick as well. So in 1968, Gary Sobers had his his contract with Nottinghamshire, official overseas player. He played that remarkable innings against Glamorgan at at Swansea and the John Player Special League started the next year, which did capture the imagination that the crowds were good. Think about T20 and the start of T20 in in this country, and that that was what it was like. The John Player League was your chance as a a county player to play and an international player as well to play in front of big domestic crowds it really did capture the imagination I mean what what effect do you think uh, the league had on the the progress of the game and one day cricket in general I mean was, was it a really important milestone in the development of the game I think very much so because it certainly started to to give players uh, a bit more of a platform, actually. That uh, you know, you, we've mentioned it, be, it being on TV regularly on a Sunday. So that was something to to look forward to as a player and show off your skills and and you know display your expertise. And because it was a a finite game, you know, finishing at six thirty, everyone sort of set their watches. They they had their Sunday lunch and then whacked the telly on afterwards. So the audience figures were pretty good. Sponsors got involved uh, as a result of that. Crowds were pretty good, and and actually from a for a player, I, I, although you, you know you were all the, you were usually judged on your first class performances, your average with the bat or the ball in county championship cricket. Actually, what I live for, and I'm sure a lot of other players were the same, was the Sunday when you knew you'd get a big crowd and you could entertain them. And even the fielding practice before the game, there were probably four or five thousand people there. Uh, whereas you know during the week there'd only be two or three thousand at the most for a, a county championship match, so it just w- was something to to really be excited about. And if you make players excited, they play better. So with all the kind of star overseas players involved, you know people like Barry Richards finding new ways to to score and playing completely new innovative shots. Viv Richards the same. Many other players. I remember Kenny McEwen from Essex. You know being one of the first players I remember sort of backing away outside leg stump and sort of slicing it, carving it over extra cover, a shot which all players from the age of about 14 upwards can do now. But then it was all quite new and it really took the game on to another level. And there were some really exciting finishes to the season as well. I can remember the John Player League trophy was often in a helicopter and they had it you know, poised somewhere ready to go to one of three grounds, depending on you know, who was going to be the, the winning county. And you know, Someone who grew up in the West Country and Gloucestershire had very, a very good season in 1977, but generally it was Somerset who were dominating. And I remember that amazing season when they lost two trophies in the same weekend, one at Lords, and then the Sunday League at Taunton and, and Viv Richards at the end of the game he was so frustrated that he, he smashed his SS jumbo bat to smithereens. He was so angry that Somerset had lost two big matches in two days, lost two trophies in, in two days and, and one in front of a huge expectant crowd at Taunton. And if, if you read Vic Marx's autobiography, he talks about actually that experience of you know, the utter desolation at losing the Sunday League. In the in the final game of the season, and they they were asked to go out and 
you know, address the crowds. It's the last thing they wanted to do, but thousands have stayed behind to sort of you know, show their appreciation, even though they lost two matches over the weekend and lost two trophies. So in a way, I mean, re- really, I mean, it's, this is, it's not an exaggeration to say, actually, that the, the Sunday League, the John Playley, was like the IPL. It was the forerunner of the IPL. All the best players played in the John Player League. And it was something that, that all the, the, the players and the public really looked forward to. Undoubtedly, the Sunday League rejuvenated cricket. It dragged it out of the doldrums of the 1960s. Well, 1968 and all that. Fast forward, though, 39 years and we get to 2007, we get to Durban, we get to India against England in the World T20, early stages in the development of the World T20. Stuart Broad bowls an over to Yuvraj Singh. He hits him for six sixes in an over. And I think it's fair to say the game of cricket has never been the same since. That's a very good point. Uh, In fact, um, T20 obviously began in 2003 in England. We were the the country that founded T20, although actually it had been played in clubs and even pubs a long time before that. But the T20... In pubs? Well, outside them anyway. Uh, And certainly the the, the 2003 tournament was the first time it had been played in the professional game. And it really took quite a long time to catch Mm. on in the international environment. In fact, India were the last team the last international team to play T20 and they were not regarded as favourites for the World T20 in South Africa in 2007. But there had been plans afoot before that to start a T20 domestic tournament in India. It was going to be called the Indian Cricket League and it was actually going to be founded by Z. TV and some entrepreneurs within that uh, that TV station, but the Indian Cricket Board didn't really like the fact that a sort of outsider was setting up this potential domestic league, the ICL, and so they started to to come up with some ideas of their own. The person who instrumented that was Lalit Modi. Lalit Modi at the time was the sort of head of commercials and marketing for the BCCI, the, the Board of Control for Cricket in India. He'd lived a fair bit of his life in America and seen the influence of American sports on society and how on a Monday night or a Sunday night people were always in their houses or in their uh, restaurants or in their sports bars watching either NFL, American football or basketball or baseball, whatever, and seeing how that had totally taken over American society at certain times of the year and certain times of the day. And he wanted to do the same for cricket in India, but he hadn't really got the idea over the line yet. So he went over to South Africa to try and conjure up some interest for this new Indian Cricket League that he was going to create which he was going to call the Indian Premier League. And he wanted to try and just get some excitement amongst the players. So he went into the dressing room of the Indian team before the match against England and challenged them. And he tells the story really well. I went into the locker room. I said, guys, has anybody who had six sixes in the over or, or take six wickets in an over will get a Porsche? Okay? I have something for everybody if it's never been done, who's going to do it? Everybody's excited about it. Okay, let's go. Games get, went on. All of a sudden, 
I'm standing on the sideline, and there's Jovraj Singh. It's the first six. Second six. Third six. I woke up. Oh shit. This could be it. <laughs> and he's looking at me. He points the bat. He hits his fourth six. Smashes his fifth six. And there goes the six six. And he hit the six. And he came running down, charging down the road, straight to me. Did he? Yeah, straight up to me. And he says, my Porsche, my Porsche. I said, dude, you just accomplished nothing. My Porsche. I said, it's done. Um, and he's running back. I said, come back here. Give me your bat. I took the bat. I go get another bat. Okay? And that's mine now. Okay? And he took another fresh bat. He took a fresh bat? Of course he took a fresh bat. That's not loud. Is that true? Yeah, that's the truth. He took a fresh bat. Oh. And he went back. And the whole team was excited for him. Everybody knew what had happened. And he was so bloody excited about the six. <laughs> I was so excited about getting my match. No, no. And I was so excited about the TV screen in India lighting up. I was so excited about everybody who was jumping all over the place. And that is what made the start of the idea. It was the moment. So you, Raj, taking Stuart Broad for six sixes in an over and, more importantly, winning a car... But it wasn't just that innings that changed things. It was, of course, the fact that India from there went on to play in the final. And not only play in the final, they played Pakistan in the final. It was a really exciting game. And India won the competition very narrowly. And the other thing as well, I think, about India and T20 cricket is they they didn't see necessarily, or people within Indian cricket at the start didn't necessarily see the potential for T20 cricket because on TV it was a much shorter game. Therefore, there's much less chance to put adverts in to make money out of it. 50-over cricket was king. Of course, India winning the World Cup in 1983 transformed uh, their cricket. And the 50-over cricket was king. They had fantastic players and they were doing well in it. And you could put loads and loads of adverts on a, on over a 50 overs per side game. You couldn't do the same with T20. But I think that innings and the fact they won that tournament showed that there was huge potential for T20 cricket and its development. And if they were in any doubt about that, they certainly found out when the team got home to Mumbai Airport, as Lalit Modi explains. We win the World Cup. The team is leaving for India tonight. I tell Mr. Pawan, why don't we facilitate them on behalf of the IPL and the cricket board when they land in India? Just take them in an open top buses like the Italians did with the soccer team. I get Nike to get up three buses. They only want three buses for I said, cut the top off. I want three buses. What do you want us to do? I said, you'll make a lot of money. Our advertising you get. Get these buses across. I estimated they'll take us two, three hours to get to the stadium. Instead of a usual one hour. I'm telling the media now, you've got to cover this live. So I gave media two buses. And one with the band, music, DJ. And I said to the channels, anybody who carries me live through the event will get an interview with the team. 144 channels went live. 144 channels. Live, all of a sudden the team arrives. Tens of thousands of people started drumming to the airport. Getting to the bus, it took us 11 hours. 11 hours? 11 hours. 6 o'clock in the morning to 5 o'clock in the evening. It was a wall of human beings. 5 to 6 million people were on the street. I think it's fair to say that some people were quite sniffy about the IPL 
to start with, and it's probably fair to say some people still are. But how successful do you think it's been, the IPL? Phenomenal. Uh, in fact, its value recently was made at $6.3 billion. And that may be sort of meaningless to people, but that's more than the in the English Premier League is valued at. Uh, the reason being, of course, is the potential audience more than anything. The fact that, you know, there's the final is watched by something like 700 million. Uh, as a result, the huge broadcast rights, uh, which are round about 500 million per season. And if you compare that to England raising 1.1 billion for four-year contract, so that's £250 million, whereas the IPL for just six weeks is worth about £500 million a year, plus all the sponsorship, the players, of course, earning huge amounts, some players earning around about £2 million. Uh, when I was talking to Ted Dexter earlier, he was exclaiming that, you know, he said, what about what, what's the name of that uh, young Surrey all-rounder, uh, Sam Curran? Yeah, Sam Curran. Yeah, he, he, he earned something like nearly a million pounds, and he's just a sort of fairly regulation, left arm fast bowler who, who hits a few balls you know he's earning nearly a million pounds so um you know it has made a complete massive difference to to the players and obviously uh, it's changed the game as well because now it's become this sort of brainstorm of cricket where all the best players and coaches assemble therefore you get ideas innovations new shots new deliveries new strategies and that has gradually influenced the whole game at all levels, from one-day international 50 overs to domestic cricket to, to the test game. And what's the future for the IPL? I mean, I'll be talking, do you think, you know, two IPLs. You mentioned there that it's only six weeks. You know, the players are making a lot of money and there's a lot of money around. When that tends to happen, people say, hold on a second, can we make a bit more of this? You talk about the, you know, the, the Premier League, the, the English Premier League. That's, of course, nine months of the year. And, you know, it's got that narrative over that, that whole stretch of time and you, you break in the summer and then have internationals. But, you know, th- there's the focus for so long. It dominates people's lives. And actually, at the moment, the, you know, the fact that it's not being played, there's no sport being played, people, I think, generally, genuinely feel a sort of an absence in their lives, whether that's right or wrong. They think they, they genuinely do. But the IPL is only played for six weeks a year. And, and that, that is frustrating, isn't it, I think, for the owners because they, they want to make more of it. Well, that's very true. And the, the frustrating thing is, of course, because they've only got six weeks, they've only got, say, seven home games to really capitalise on the support they've built up. I mean, what's amazing is that in 12 years, the allegiances that they've established with these teams, all of them newly created, Mumbai Indians, Chennai Super Kings, Sunrisers, Hyderabad, etc., Rajasthan Royals, you know, they're all completely new concepts. And yet they've uh, developed this following of you know more than a million followers on various social media and big crowds whenever they play and and a great kind of engagement generally. The challenge has always been keeping that engagement going in the the sort of forty odd weeks when the teams aren't together. I think in the future that they'll plan to have uh, probably a Champions League some kind of idea uh, in September, which of course it, they started out with actually when mm. the whole IPL began. There was a Champions league in September which uh, was a competition for all the champions of various T20 domestic leagues around the world that got abandoned because of the bomb attacks in Mumbai and never really resurrected itself but that's certainly a, a target in the future maybe more teams meaning that the tournament gets a little bit longer 
but you don't want it to be totally dominant so that other domestic leagues can't have their window of opportunity too. I certainly think it's it's here to stay, the IPL. The talk is that they might try a shorter tournament this year, given the, the unusual circumstances in the world, maybe towards the end of May, but we'll see. It strikes me one of the problems is one of the potential problems of the IPL is, is overkill. Actually, when you when you're onto a good thing, and I think it's fair to say, what, you know, whatever you think of it, whatever you think of the standard of cricket, whatever you think of the of the hype around it, it has been very successful for all sorts of people involved in it. But one of the problems, if you do too much of it, you have overkill, and people gradually loses its sort of special nature. Um, you know, we we started with the John Player League, and even that towards the end. Uh, lost its luster and it was abandoned, wasn't it? That you know there is no forty-over league anymore in English domestic cricket. People sort of got tired of it o- over time, and that that's the challenge. I think is not to do so much of it. You say, oh, we've got to have IPL too. You, know, you do so much of it that people lose interest. It's it's actually getting that balance right. And I think you see something like the Big Bash in Australia, where the crowds per game, the average crowd per game has has gone down. They've expanded the competition. The crowds are still pretty good. But the the interest is perhaps not quite so great, and and that's that's the challenge I think for the administrators is to is to really find that balance and perhaps you know not not get too greedy to say we're onto a good thing, but if we do too much more of it, then perhaps we'll undermine our product. Not getting too greedy, administrators. Uh, that's an oxymoron, isn't it? Surely, no. I think your point is very good though, and ultimately the the great thing about cricket and the reason why it survived so long from the 1700s onwards is because it has got this ability to innovate and reinvent itself and that's why we're doing this series uh, about cricket innovations and groundbreaking moments in the sport that have changed it and had a, a major impact there'll be some more groundbreaking moments next week in this five-part series hope you've enjoyed it and just final word from me to say keep safe and look after everybody Thanks for listening. Goodbye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.